Would you join me in prayer? Gracious and holy God, we seek your blessing that your spirit may speak to us anew in your scripture, in your words of sermon, in the ways that you speak to us as a community together. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Our scripture passage today from the lectionary comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 29 through 39. You hear in this passage Jesus encountering some of the disciples of John the Baptist. Listen for the word of the Lord. The next day he, John, the next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and declared, Behold the the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks ahead of me, because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but I came baptizing with water for this reason, that he might be revealed to Israel. And John testified, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I myself have seen and have testified that this is the Son of God. The next day John again was standing with two of his disciples. And as he watched Jesus walk by, he exclaimed, Behold, here is the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. When Jesus turned and saw them following, he said to them, What are you looking for? They said to him, Rabbi, which translates teacher, Where are you staying? And he said to them, Come and see. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It is the first recorded uh, question that Jesus asks or ways that he speaks to these, uh, these followers of John. And I think it's a question for the ages. And the question is, what are you looking for? What are you looking for? What in your heart, in your secret, quiet places? What hungers drive you forward in your life of faith? Why do you still have this, why do you still have skin in this game we call Christianity? What are you hoping for, looking for in your spiritual life? Jesus says, come and see which I take to mean come and follow, see and perceive, comprehend and understand and experience the world in a new way by living it on the road following Jesus, following in the cross costly grace as you learn his story. What are you looking for? It's a haunting question that Jesus asks, not just John's disciples, but all of us. What are you looking for? It's a story, this passage in Scripture, that is one of witness. And I think it evokes in us uh, a, a remembrance that we need to witness to part of how we have experienced God in our own lives and part of our journey of faith and how we share that. 
So let me share a bit of my witness this morning and my story. It starts in 1849. In 1849, my great-great-grandfather, Cornelius Kuyper, set sail from Holland along with his wife and six children to come live in the United States. On the voyage, not too long after they set sail, cholera swept the ship. By the time they reached Chicago, Cornelius only had two children left. He moved to the wilderness, which is to say about 20 miles from downtown Chicago. It was an Indian trail at the time. There were wolves in the area. There was an Indian trail. Today, uh, that Indian trail is called uh, Michigan Avenue. He made friends with the Native Americans there. They taught him their medical arts. He became de facto the doctor of that area for years. I think it's poignant, out of the loss of four children, he became a healer. He wanted to become a minister, but his wife said, no way, I'm going to let you do that. So he did not become a minister. He did become a part of a group that founded the first Dutch Reformed Church on the south side. He also became postmaster, storekeeper, vegetable farmer, school board member, water witcher, cheesemaker, and policeman. It's that last role that I want to highlight because in the 1850s, one of the duties of an Illinois policeman in that area was to capture and to return escaped slaves. And so the story is recorded later on in the Chicago Tribune that one some slave master in a southern posse turned up on his porch seeking runaway slaves. Cornelius guided them in their search. He took them all around the south side of Chicago, all the way to the Indiana border. They looked all day. They never found those slaves. But he welcomed the posse into his home and served them hot tea and crumpets before they left. And the posse thanked him vigorously for his hard efforts to help them in their search. And after the posse left, Cornelius opened up the secret door to his root cellar and out came the runaway slaves. They ate and drank the rest of the tea and crumpets that the posse left behind. Then he hid them under some corn in a wagon and drove that wagon to the next way station on the Underground Railroad. Cornelius was a committed Christian and and very much a stickler uh, to to the law, but, but sometimes there's a higher law that God calls us to. In the light of Jesus Christ, what am I looking for? I am looking for a life of faith like those Dutch immigrants who formed the Underground Railroad in that region. People who had lost so much on the journey, but who had kept their faith and found the courage and the ethical power to change lives. You see, faith has to have results. Faith has to be tied to ethics and action, to be real faith. I think our moral actions are shaped through our rituals. In our rituals, we remind ourselves of who we are. 
And in this, on this weekend, part of our nation's ritual celebration is to remember Martin Luther King Jr. But for us in the church, we remember the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King, whose faith shaped his leadership in the nation. He's a symbol for our nation to remember in its history so that we can analyze our present for the adequacy of how we are facing issues of prejudice and racism. To remember our highest ideals and to remember the biblical call for equality, dignity, justice, and peace. Jesus says, what are you looking for? I'm looking for that higher righteousness that helps us move into a new world that is shaped by the true spirit of Jesus Christ. In our rituals, we remember and reignite the values and visions that shape us in the light of Christ's leadership. I think we share stories not because they're mildly interesting, but because they remind us and animate us to live into those kind of values that change the world. Now, Martin Luther King Jr. was not a perfect person, but he embodied a great many virtues that speak about his faith in his life. From his early days, this is just a quirky story that I heard one of his, uh, one of his friends tell one time at, at McCormick Seminary. He, he said uh, that, that King was a popular speaker, but, but when it came time for them to leave the hotel to go to the, uh, to, the, to the big event, they'd look around for Martin, and Martin wasn't there because he'd found some church deacon and got hitched a ride with him to the event because he wanted to talk with him on the way and find out about the ordinary lives in that congregation, what they're going through. That humility, I think, was part of what gave him his wisdom. He studied Reinhold Niebuhr. Reinhold Niebuhr, who was the greatest theologian of the last century, Reinhold Niebuhr, who got his start here in the Detroit area. Niebuhr, who taught about the impossible possibility of love, that love is impossible to embody in, in, in the public sphere. The closest we can come to love is justice. So Martin Luther King held that ideal of justice as part of Christ's love as he moved forward. He added to that the insights from, from Mahatma Gandhi. And, and there in the civil rights struggle, um, they, they, they tried to live in a way that was peaceful, but one that was not placid, one that was, was not passive. There's stories in the civil rights struggle that are well known. I want to share with you some that are not, that I've run across over the years that, that have moved me. It's well known that in the segregated South, whites sat in the front of the bus and blacks in the back. It is well known that Rosa Parks refused to give up her seat and was arrested, and that that was the tipping point for the Montgomery bus boycott in 1956, and that was truly the, uh, a, a milestone on the civil rights struggle. What is not so well known is that when Rosa Parks sat down, it did not just happen. Rosa Parks had been studying about nonviolent resistance in that hotbed of subversion known as Sunday school. Adult Sunday school at her church. That's where she learned 
what to do. Because everybody knows how to sit down, but she learned how to sit down in the right way at the right time for the right reason, and it began a change. Rosa had ridden with this same bus driver many times. He had insulted her many times. But this time she was ready in her mind, heart, and body, and she had backup because she knew her Sunday school class was praying for her. People need to remember that Sunday school can be a place of national transformation. This was the beginning of the bus boycott in Montgomery, Alabama. When this happened, they knew they needed a gifted leader. So they called the well-heeled, well-educated, charismatic Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. to lead them in this struggle. What is not so well known is that when they appointed him to desegregate one of the largest cities in Alabama and to take on the powerful and violent forces of racism, Martin was only 25 years old. Think about that. The boycott happened, but what is not well known is that this boycott was only supposed to last for one day, but it was so powerful it, and, and, and they needed to keep on lifting up this issue that that bus boycott lasted not for one day, but 381 days. People started walking to work or carpooling. They sacrificed so much. They worked together so well. There's a lot of untold stories. I'd share one story that I heard in a lecture at Vanderbilt from one of Dr. King's friends, Dr. Samuel Proctor. Proctor, at the time uh, that, that the story, this story happened, was only 33. He was the youngest president of Virginia Union University. Martin had invited him uh, to come and give a lecture uh, in Montgomery. It was to support the people of the community and to, to bolster their strength and courage. What's so not so well known is that the white gas station owners, in retaliation for the bus boycott, stopped selling gas to people who were carpooling. So it was up to Martin to go to the next city, over an hour away, to find someone who would make the risk of selling gas to the gas stations that were supporting them. This was a time when Dr. King was getting regular death, threat, death threats, not too long uh, before he, uh, his home was bombed with his wife and his infant daughter. So Martin, to do this task, asked his visiting friend, Samuel Proctor, if he would like to go with him on a ride in the Alabama countryside at night. Proctor said yes. They headed out. When they got to the city limit, a police cruiser pulled up behind them and rode on their bumper about one foot behind with its lights glaring in the rearview mirror. And that cruiser drove right there the entire journey through the dark countryside. Nearly an hour away, they got to the other city. At the city limit, the cruiser veered off, and they went into town and found where they could uh, talk with somebody who agreed to sell them gas. When they finished, King pulled out of town, and as soon as he pulled out of town, that same cruiser veered right again behind him, following on their bumper, lights glaring the entire way. It was an act of intimidation and threat. And I tell this story because 
The ethical life requires sometimes that acts of great courage happen. In the face of threat and intimidation, people have to find courage, and I think that courage comes from the faith that we have in Jesus Christ. Dr. King did not do it alone. He did it because he had friends, friends who stood with him in that time, friends to support them. Jesus asked the story, what are you looking for? Are you looking for a friend to support you in some act of moral courage? Are you looking to be a courageous friend who just needs someone to ask, would they would you consider working with them? My favorite part of Dr. Proctor's story, uh, when, when he told that the last part of that journey between those two cities, he said with a wonderful smile on his face, he said that, that stretch of dark, lonely Alabama road that they traveled that night, today is called Martin Luther King Jr. Highway. The arc of the universe is long, but it bends towards justice. Another friend of Martin was Reverend Andrew Young. Uh, Andrew Young tells the story about another step in the civil rights movement. They went from Montgomery, where they boycotted the buses, to Birmingham, Alabama, where they boycotted the businesses. But the business leaders there were very receptive, and after a very short period of time, they, they said they would be willing to do what, what was being asked. What they were asking was to hire uh, African Americans as salespeople. They already had them as janitors, but, but they, it was illegal to hire them as salespeople. And, and the business people said, well, what, what, what are we, we going to do? And Young told them, well, you already have the black janitors and maids. And all the customers know they're the ones to really ask if they're looking for something on the shelves. Why don't you just make them your salespeople? So the business owners did. And the sky did not fall. There was no great disaster. Armageddon did not happen. Business went on as usual. It was illegal for them to do that, but the business people found the moral courage to do it. And they started living into this new world, and it was only then that the politicians found the moral courage. I love that story because sometimes it's not enough to change minds and hearts. You have to change social practices. You have to change social structures, and you have to change laws. And then, together, we come to experience a better world. That's part of what we remember when we celebrate this weekend. I think one of my favorite stories out of the Civil Rights Movement is a story that I heard from another friend of, of Martin, uh, Joseph Lowry. Joseph Lowry was a brilliant speaker um, and had a great sense of humor. He, you might have seen him at, at Coretta Scott King's funeral. He gave such a lively benediction, Jesse Jackson started dancing in the aisle. Lowry was hysterical when he spoke. and. But he also told the story of when he moved from Nashville to Memphis. As that moment was transpiring, his seven-year-old daughter was going to start second grade. And the schools were integrated. They were, they were, it was ruled that they would be integrated. And so there was a lot of anger. And there were going to be angry, hateful crowds at school the next day. And everybody knew it. And his seven-year-old daughter knew something was coming. 
So the night before, as he was putting his little girl to bed, Reverend Lowry read her Psalm 27. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Of whom shall I be afraid? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I fear? Then the next morning, the parents had to wake up and take their little girl and drop her off at the bottom of the steps that led up to the school with crowds on either sides of the steps, their, their faces twisted in, in anger and hatred and their voices yelling through that gauntlet this little girl had to mount the steps. And Lowry heard his young daughter as she began up the steps. She, she balled up her little hands uh, in, in, in fists and she said, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? See, I think the civil rights movement reminds us that children's imaginations need to be filled with words of faith and children need to have the assurance of their parents about what is right and just and what is good in the world. Come to think of it, we all need those words to fill our minds and hearts. Jesus says to his followers, what are you looking for? What are you looking for? I think that's a question for all of us to struggle with as we seek to follow Jesus and to find the ways where Jesus is calling us to be transformative agents of God's love in the world. We, we have that power. We have that vision. We have that strength. It's up to us to follow where Jesus leads. And when we do, when we follow, we may not know exactly where we're going to end up, but as Jesus says, come and see, we will see the world anew together in God's grace and God's love. Amen.